So his whole idea is let's quit fighting against aging. Let's quit fighting, like mm. uh, quit trying to be 55 wearing skinny jeans and acting like you're 22 and realize what you have now is some wisdom. By the time we get to the second half of our lives, it's time to think about how our experiences, the good, the bad, and the worst, can become a blessing to others. Welcome to your Pastor Reads Books. I'm your host, Heather Weber, and today my guest is lawyer and ordained minister, Glenn S. Reynolds, and we talk about Arthur Brooks' New York Times bestseller, From Strength to Strength, Finding Success, Happiness, and Deep Purpose in the Second Half of Life. In the second half, we find we have a stock of knowledge that can be passed on to others. Today, we talk about surviving the worst, what matters most, and how we should steward our wisdom years. Glenn S. Reynolds, not to be confused with Glenn Reynolds, the political pundit, served in ministry as a church planter and lead pastor for many years before focusing on ministry through the practice of law. As a lawyer, Glenn comes alongside churches and nonprofit organizations, helping them to solve problems and protect dreams. In June of this year, he and his wife Amberly released a resource called Surviving the Worst, a 30-day experience to mend your heart, which can be found on his website. Don't worry, as usual, links to everything we mentioned can be found in the show notes. A word to you reading nerds out there, around minute 40 of this interview, Glenn and I totally geek out over the best ways to mark up our books, whether we read digitally or with paper, and the best resources for finding new reads. I hope you enjoy the conversation. Hey, Glenn, welcome to the show. It's so good to have you here. Well, thank you, Heather. I am delighted and honored to join you on the podcast. I love reading and I love talking about what I'm reading. Then you are the perfect kind of guest <laughs> for me. Um, you know, you and I know each other. Um, others don't necessarily know this because you provide legal counsel for our, our our ministry network, the Iowa Ministry Network, where I hold credentials as a minister. And as I've gotten to know you, I have you know learned about you know your ministry through law because um, you're a lawyer, but also you've pastored churches and. Um, and then you've also started, you know, working on something new in ministry. So I wonder if you could just talk a little bit about your latest project. Yes. Thank you, Heather. Our latest project that Amberly, my wife of over 30 years and I have begun to work on is called Surviving the Worst. And Heather, you know a little bit of this story. Uh, everybody has a worst day of their life. Mm -hmm. whether it's the day they heard the doctor say the word cancer or the day they came home and their spouse wasn't there or the day they realized this dream that I had has turned into a nightmare. Everybody has a worst day of their life. And we all have bad days. Uh, that's not what our project's about. I remember a bad day was the day the first 68 pages of my dissertation at Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary were rejected. Ouch. You know, a bad day was the day my prom date left prom with another guy in high school. That, I mean, that's, that's a bad day. My Ouch. first day on the yeah. job as a church planter in Des Moines, Iowa, Heather, I was involved in a three-car accident that was my fault and wound up on the morning news. That's, that's a wow. bad day. 
And and I God cares about every day, right? God cares yeah. about everything. There's no problem too small that the Lord doesn't care about. Yeah. But what I've been working with and what Amberly's been working with is how do you survive those worst days of your life? Mm-hmm. The ones like we talked about before. And I can tell you, every person I've talked to about this, they can name that worst mm-hmm. day of their life. They can mm-hmm. say, oh, absolutely. My worst day was. And they can even, if they can't name the date, they can just take you back to the place, to the time and exactly what happened. And as you know, the worst day of our lives uh, was September 30th of 2020. I woke up that morning and I went to a Bible study at 6 a.m. on Zoom because remember this was during uh, COVID. We weren't getting out, going places. And so uh, we had a men's group that had a Bible study at 6 a.m. And you may find this shocking, but I didn't talk much that day. I, I just listened And the Bible study was about Jesus talking about building your house on the rock, Mm. storms coming. And I remember saying, the question isn't, are storms going to come? The question is, are we ready for the storms? Hmm. And our storm was coming. We just didn't know it at that that morning. Um, Crazily enough, I thought by noon, I'd already had what I thought was a big problem, the Virginia Supreme Court secretary called and said a writ for an appeal that we had filed had somehow shown up <laughs> in comic sans and art deco font. And, wow. and this thing we'd been working on for three years would be rejected because it wasn't in the right format. Wow. And so then I'm panicking thinking this is horrible because this involved a church and their property mm. and all kinds of things. And oh my goodness. Then they called back and said, nope, uh, it was a problem on our end. And we just hit a button and now you're good. And man, I thought this, this is, this was bad. Yeah. But at 117 that afternoon, my wife called me and she told me that our 24 year old son, the day before his 24th, 25th birthday, rather, mm-hmm. that he was dead, that he had died by suicide. Mm-hmm. And uh, I couldn't believe it at first. And I rushed out of my office. I was in a downtown office in Norfolk, Virginia. I ran out of the office four floors across the street, up four floors in the parking garage. I I was so discombobulated. I got lost on the way there because I couldn't think straight. Um, I tried to call a friend of mine who was a judge. I called the wrong courthouse. Mm. And I just kept believing that Amberly had to be wrong because those were the only two words she said, he's dead. And mm. I said, hang up the phone and call 911. Mm. So the whole way there, I kept thinking, this can't be true. Oh. It can't be true. And in fact, um, I I didn't believe it until I got to a street and I got ready to turn down the street. And um, I saw a fire truck and I saw police cars. And there was no ambulance. Mm -hmm. And I said to myself, she's right. And the rest of that day, this Mm -hmm. beautiful fall day, 72 degrees, blue skies, uh, became the worst day of our life. The day that we mark our life by before and after. And now it's been, you know, it'll be three years this fall. And so uh, it's still at different times as piercing as it was that day, but the Lord has 
helped us survive the worst. Mm. And what we want to do, it's odd, Heather, when a a child loses parents, they're an orphan. And when a spouse loses a spouse, they're a widow or a widower, but there's no word for parents who lose a child. Oh, you're right. And so we've just gone through this incredible journey, not alone, but with God's people, with counseling, with friends. And um, we feel like the Lord has helped us survive the worst. And so our project is to come alongside people uh, through preaching, through providing resources uh, to say, hey, uh, there's a path to hope and healing. And um, I'll talk, I'll I'll talk way too much about this, but I want to say that Next day, um, I woke up and my counselor had told me a quote before from Dante um, that said, in the middle of the journey of my life, I awoke in a dark wood. Mm. The way was completely unfamiliar to me. Mm. And that's what I felt like. I turned 50 the month before. Wow. And here I was battling and wrestling through something that we never imagined that we would would go through. And um, and through it, the Lord taught us several lessons that I think are transferable yeah. to other people's circumstances to try to help them survive the worst day of their life. And so uh, that's what we're engaged in during the week, practice law, and then on the weekend, get to talk with churches and meet with people and try to help them uh, wow. in this process. So have you felt like people have come to you, like God has just brought people into your path that you can walk with already? Oh, sure. It's it's just amazing when we tell our story in a church. It's it's stunning. And that's what prompted us to create a resource that is a it's a 30-day video devotional with writing prompts. Um, I think you and I are a lot alike in this regard. I think we both processed through writing Mm -hmm. and um, I went through a secular program called writing your grief. Mm. So I took some of the principles from that program, not the content, but the principles and said, let me make a six to eight minute devotional about what I learned, but then let's have writing prompts for people to follow about what they're going through to get that out. And then let's let's pray some prayers. You know, Heather, what's so interesting is when I, when this happened, I couldn't pray uh, just spontaneous prayer. I would just sit there. And so I went back to, um, for lack of a better word, liturgical prayers, the book of hours, mm-hmm. prayers, and would pray those prayers. And it gave me solace that I was, you know, even in the middle of the night, Heather, Sometimes I would open it up and I would pray that prayer at nighttime for those who who labor and those who watch and those yeah. who are ill. And it did me something good to realize that even while my son was in that worst moment of his life, not choosing to end his life. Uh, I know this isn't the book we're talking about, but there's an incredible book I'm reading called hmm. When It's Darkest, a secular book about suicide hmm. and people who hmm. die by suicide. It's not that they want to die. It's that they want to end the pain. Yeah. And to think that there were people around the world praying that prayer, you know, for those in the middle of the night, uh, which is where he was. uh, Wow. For my soul. And so 
uh, it made me feel that he wasn't alone in that moment because there were saints of all kinds of faith traditions praying that prayer that had been prayed for ages. And so that's what I just began to do is pray that. And so that's crafted into here. And so really the thing was prompted by, yeah, I can preach a 35 minute message, but people would come and we would talk and we would pray. And I just wanted something else to be able to provide uh, to them uh, so that they could try to, you can't mimic our journey, no matter what your worst day is. I say, this is about finding your path to hope and healing out of your dark wood Mm. uh, in the middle of this incredible uh, horror that your life yourself in. And, and so, yeah, so people come up, I think that um, in our strengths, maybe we give people confidence to follow us, but in our weakness and in our transparency, that's where real healing uh, can come. And so we decided we don't want to waste our pain. Yeah. And we want to begin to talk about this. And so it really started at the church we attend on Easter Sunday a couple of years ago, not this past Easter, but the one before, they did a video of our story. Mm. And we began to see how people would come and open up about some of the darkest days of their lives after saying, hey, we've been through the worst here and it's been hard, but God has been good. Wow. Wow. That's so beautiful. I love what you said about liturgical prayers and the yeah. comfort that that brought you. Yes. I know during some of the darkest days of the pandemic, I went to the Book of Common Prayer sure. uh, for one of the first times in my life. Mm-hmm. And I was reading those prayers because there are seasons in our lives where we don't have the words to pray. And there are people who have said something wiser than we can think of. That's exactly right. And one of my... Yeah. One of my uh, heroes in ministry is a spirit-filled Anglican pastor of a church of a couple hundred people here in Chesapeake. Mm. Just his rich combination of spirit-filled, but he's Anglican. And that Mm. liturgical tradition, it's just amazing. Pastor Marty uh, is his name, and we're honored to represent their church. I've learned so much from him. Wow. Even before this, when we were representing their church, and then through this, uh, he's been a great help. So, wow, absolutely, that's that's wonderful. And I also just for those listening, I want to plug the writing aspect of this because mm-hmm. I have followed what you shared online on social media over the last few years, and I'm always struck with you are a beautiful writer, uh-huh. and there is something about beauty in words in art of other formats that are very healing and very helpful to sort of like dislodge. I think sometimes the grief that people have that they don't know how to express. And so I just want to plug what you're doing. I think it's going to be really, really powerful for people. Well, I hope so. That's, that's, that's our goal. And you know, the, the book that we wanted to talk about from strength to strength kind of fit into that. Oh, why don't you why don't you go ahead and introduce it and I'll have a couple yeah. questions for you later, but yeah, yeah, why don't you go ahead and tell us about about yeah, so, uh, this book. So let, let me just back up just a minute if I could. So sure. I turned 50 and we had this horrible tragedy. Yeah. And then I had heart trouble. Mm. Uh, 
because I think your body keeps the score. That's one of the lessons. If, if when you're going through trauma, yeah, the body keeps the score. And there is a book by that title. Yeah. Um, but uh, it is so true. And my stress began to come out in my body. And, and I think I had a couple things develop. One was atrial fibrillation, mm. which I, I don't think stress causes, but my doctors told me stress can impact. And so mm. I think all of my stress was, uh, but so I had to just um, have this thing called an ablation, Heather. I had to have two of them actually wow. where they, they burn your heart uh, to stop it from sending the signals from the top chamber to the bottom chamber. Wow. I tell people it's like they go in with a, um, with a uh, water, w- w- with a branding iron, uh, through one vein and with a water pistol through the other, and mm. then they burn it, then they shoot water on it to keep you cool. Wow. And so I was, I had this amount of time where I just couldn't work, and I just thought, I'm yeah. going to pray. And you know, me, I've, I've done a lot of work with leadership development, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And I thought, I'm at that point 52 years old or 51, mm-hmm. actually. I said, I've got 19 years until I turn 70. Mm. Lord, what do you want me to do? And I really began to think about what we'd gone through with Grant. And this whole idea of just helping people navigate life, uh, leadership, and law issues. Mm. And so when I talk about navigating life, I I am a real believer in redemption, that God uses these horrible inflection points of our lives to transform us, these these crucibles. Mm. And if we allow Him to transform us, then His work of redemption can come and then we then can become people of redemption and help others on their redemptive journey. And so, so it kind of goes into this book. So the, the first part of the book, he really, he really hits you and says, you can deny some facts and you can rage against uh, these, these ideas. But his whole point is when you hit your 30s, uh, you're in decline. <laughs> <laughs> and- <laughs> Glenn, Glenn is. Did we already say? I don't know if, if we said for sure. I just want to make sure. It's yeah. um, the book is from strength to strength by Arthur Brooks. Okay, uh, and Arthur Brooks has uh, taught at Harvard uh, Kennedy School of Government. He's been a leader of a, a large nonprofit, a think tank, uh, plays the French horn, all, mm. all these kind of things. And uh, he really got into this study of the second half of life. And that's kind of where I was. Yeah. And his whole his whole thing is uh, chapter one. And again, you got to slug through chapter one. I gave this book to a friend of mine. <laughs> he was like, Glenn, chapter one's a killer. Chapter one is your decline is coming much sooner than you think. So, so really downer it, Debbie, basically. It is a okay. downer Debbie. Saying, Debbie downer. <laughs> Debbie downer, downer Debbie, whatever you want to say. He, he he just says, man, you hit your 30s, uh, everybody's younger, they're they're moving ahead of you. You you dot you don't think as fast as you used to, your body's going in decline. And I'm like, yes, this is me. I will admit that. Uh, but his whole point is, but that's okay. Mm. Because what he talks about is that there are two different types of intelligences. He talks about number one, that Fluid intelligence is what he talks about you need in the first part of life, that that fluid intelligence is the ability to reason, it's the ability to think flexibly, it's the ability to solve problems. And you think about this, uh, like Bill Gates, 
my goodness, there's a guy who created all of this incredible operating system and word. And, mm. and then you're like much more genius, smarter than I'll ever be. But you're like, yeah, he did all of that in his 20s and then kind of been riding that mm. mm-hmm. ever, ever since. You see yeah. like how many uh, entrepreneurs, even me, uh, church planter in my 20s, I'm not thinking of planning a church in my 50s, you know, so it's... Yeah all of these new, fresh entrepreneurial ideas. And then his whole point is, my goodness, you're in decline. But his he's got good news, he says, but by the time you get to the second half of life, you also have developed what he calls crystallized intelligence. Hmm. And that means you have a stock of knowledge that you have learned in the past. And he thinks of the metaphor of a vast library and have this intelligence. He's like, when you're young, you have raw smarts, but when you're older, you have wisdom. Hmm. And so the whole point he says of this is to, and here's a quote from page 40 that I've marked, devote the back half of your life to serving others with your wisdom. Get old sharing the things you believe are most important. Excellent is its own reward. And this is how you can be most excellent as you age. Wow. And I look at that and not that you're anywhere near a second half. Well, I'm I'm not far. I'm about five years away from 50. So <laughs> but something like this podcast that says, I want to take and invest in others. Your your ministry with women to mentor. I look at somebody and like Tim Keller, who we mm. just lost, who went to be with the Lord. Yeah. Look at the arc of his life. And I think the arc of his life aligns with from strength to strength, Yeah, which, which this man is a, a believer. I think he's a Catholic, uh, but the, the strength to strength comes from, from the passage of, of Scripture, obviously, mm-hmm. uh, from Psalm 84, blessed are those whose strength is in you, whose mm-hmm. hearts are set on pilgrimage as they pass through the Valley of Baca, which we know is death. They make it a place of springs. The autumn rains also cover it with pools. They go from strength to strength till each appears before God in Zion. Mm. And so his whole idea is let's quit fighting against aging. Let's quit fighting, like Mm. uh, quit trying to be 55, wearing skinny jeans and acting like you're 22 and realize what you have now is some wisdom. Mm. What you have now, and, and I think back to what I was saying, Tim Keller, I think, is the beautiful example of this. You know, he pastored a church not far from where I live in Virginia, in Hopewell, Virginia. Mm-hmm. Then he went to be a seminary professor. Then he started Redeemer Church in New York City. And he didn't write books. He didn't do anything like that. He was he was doing it. Mm. He was the entrepreneur. He was the using yeah. that intelligence, solve the problems, mm-hmm. do the things, start the church. But then you see this switch somewhere in the last 20 years. He writes Prodigal God. He, he begins to yeah. write books. He resigns eventually from Redeemer and is all involved in helping others on that journey. And so I think that's the wow. whole idea. And I'll say this, his book on um, walking with God through pain and suffering, mm. incredible resource on my journey. Mm. In our materials called Surviving the Worst, we put a, a list of resources at the back. Oh, great. That helped. Uh, worship songs that helped, playlists that helped. Uh, we even put our counselors were so incredible. We just put mm. their Redemir Counseling Center wow. right there because they are the best counselors I've ever wow. had in our lives. And you know, Heather, how God works. I went to Gordon Conwell 
to get my doctorate because of one professor who I'd heard before. Hmm. And I wound up, he, he didn't become my mentor. This other guy named Harf Powers became my mentor. Hmm. And I tell you, all these decades later, it was Harf Powers and his wife, Bev, who walked with us through this suffering. Wow. Because not, he was an adjunct faculty member, but his real ministry is a counseling practice. Wow. And we've been friends forever. And, and they counseled us through this journey. And so it's just stunning how God works. But I get back to the book. The yeah. book the idea is this is a second half of life. Quit trying to pursue what you were pursuing in the first half and start trying to say, how do I invest in other people? How do I mm-hmm. use the wisdom of my journey to invest my life uh, with others. And so uh, that's just been stunning for me. Uh, I probably am never going to pastor a church again. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I tell people I've pastored 25 people at Climax Springs Assembly of God that never climaxed or sprung. Oh. <laughs> it was a little church in the middle of the Ozark Mountains. Hmm. I pastored a church of 2,500 people. Hmm. Uh, I don't think that's where God has me. But yeah. Uh, what? How can I invest my life to make a difference, to use the wisdom? Uh, he says the secret to going from strength to strength is recognizing your weakness. See, that first half of life, it's all about your strength. Second half is recognizing your weakness, your loss, your decline, mm. and that can be a gift to other people. Mm. And so I just want to encourage people who are 50, 60, 70, and you look at the folks coming up and it can be discouraging because you're like, I can't keep up with these young yeah. folks. God doesn't want you to. He wants you to be the the sage. He wants you to be the wisdom giver. Uh, yeah. Do you know who Gordon McDonald is by any chance? Yes. Yes. I haven't read much ordering of your stuff, private, but or ordering yeah. your private world and everything. Mm-hmm. I listened to a podcast. Uh, he's 80 something now. Wow. I listened to a podcast that he did with Carrie Newhoff. Mm-hmm. And he uh, he said that he determined to resign from official ministry positions. He was president of Denver Seminary at 60 years old hmm. and just become a father, just begin to mentor and be a spiritual father. Mm-hmm. To, I think that, again, is the heart of this. Of course, we got to make a living. That's why I tell yeah. people, um, <laughs> I've got... I've got I've got a kid getting married, kid in college. I'd love to do your law work for free, but somebody's yeah. got to do these bills. Yeah. But how can we, uh, in the back half of our life, invest in other people and take yeah. really our pain and see it redeemed to make a difference in somebody else's life? That's really good. And it, it brings up a question for me. I don't know if he touches on this at all, but yeah. we do live in a kind of ageist society, right? Mm -hmm. And so Mm -hmm. I'm kind of in the middle, I feel of like the older generation, the younger generation right now. And I can see like the enthusiasm and the passion of the younger generation, but also some ignorance at times Yes, where they would, or, you know, blind spots, right. Where they would benefit from wisdom. But sometimes it seems like the older you get in our country, the less people want to hear from you. And I mean, unless you're like in family relationships, right? Sure. And your grandma mm-hmm. or something. Mm-hmm. Whereas in other cultures, that's not necessarily the case. Mm-hmm. Some, you know, often the elderly are esteemed for mm-hmm. their wisdom. So does he talk about that at all? You know, he 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 doesn't talk about that okay. as much, but I would say 
I would say this about that, that I think you're absolutely right. And so if, and I think my, if you're only five years behind me, are you a, uh, what generation do you follow? I'm a, I'm a Gen Xer. I'm 45, born in yeah. 1978. No, like nobody remembers us. It just skips straight to millennials, you know, it's, yeah. to, to boomers, to millennials. It's a, we're like caught in this middle. Yes. But what he, what he talks about is this, the book opens up with, uh, he was a young charging addicted to success. And that's kind of what you're talking about. Mm. They're addicted to success, mm-hmm. moving up the ladder. And the intro of the book, he talks about being on a, a plane to Washington and he will never tell who this person was. Uh, but he hears a man and wife having a discussion in the row behind him. And the wife tells the man, it's not true that no one needs you anymore. Oh, wow. And so he's imagining who is this that's talking, who is having this conversation. And he says, I finally, when we landed in Washington, D.C., it's what he says. I finally got to look at the desolate man. I was shocked. I recognized him. Wow. He was well known, famous even. And his men, he was now in his mid 80s, but he had been universally beloved as a hero for his courage, patriotism, patriotism. And accomplishments. He said, I had admired him since I was young. Wow. But he said, that was the moment where he turned and said, sir, I've admired you since I was little. But here is this man Hmm. who's in his 80s saying, my life doesn't even matter anymore, which is a message of culture, but which prompted Mr. Brooks to say, I'm going to fight against that culture and understand I don't want to be addicted to this success journey to where at the end of my life, I'm sitting here going, I'm irrelevant because I don't have the fluid intelligence. I'm not creating, I'm not entrepreneurial like I used to be, but I want to gain wisdom so that I can uh, take this leap into this second level of living Hmm. and, uh, and, and really, uh, one of the strangest things he tells us to do in the book is to ponder your death. Mm, and he talks wow. about, he talks about Heather, he talks about resume virtues and he talks about uh, eulogy virtues. Mm. And at a funeral, you've done tons of them as a pastor. I've done tons of them. Nobody's at the funeral saying, you know, he met, he, he, he met productivity goals four out of five quarters. He, right. she, she achieved, a million dollar sales ranking every year. That's not yeah. what we talked about at funerals. It's this impact. Yes. That people had this person made in my life. This person took time for me. This person sat down with me. And I tell you, he says, ponder your death and what you want people to say about you, your resume virtues. They're, they're not going to get at my funeral and thank God say, <laughs> well, I graduated in my law school class. They're, they're not right. going to get at the funeral and say, you know, uh, on his annual church ministries report in 1997, he was the, no, it's people are going to remember, were you kind to them? Right. Care about them? Uh, did yeah. you help them? Were you there? Uh, I, I I finally got a hold of my friend who was the judge on the day my son died, mm. immediately left the bench, got another judge to take over his courtroom. And he's a judge in the second largest jurisdiction in the Commonwealth. Wow. And he immediately came. I called a man who was no longer my law partner, but was practicing at another firm. 
he leapt up from his desk immediately came. Wow. I never forget these two things. Of course. That's what, if I'm asked to speak at their funeral or anywhere, that's what I'm going to talk about. Not that my buddy had been a judge since age 32 or right. Christian won this amount of verdicts. Right. No, no those those things, they're, they matter. They're important. It's, it, it's good to excel professionally. But the second half of life, it's about hopping off that success addiction. Mm. That's what I'm trying to learn. And how can I genuinely make a difference in people's lives? That's really good. I mean, so you're implementing this already. I mean, and it's evident even in the surviving the worst material that you are putting together with your wife. Um, Have you had an opportunity, you know, usually I ask pastors like, how is this making you a better pastor? Like, how is this yeah. book shaping you as a better giver of spiritual care to others? And I know you're mm. not like a traditional yeah. minister anymore. So no. like, how does this new revelation just sort of like yeah. play out for you as you interact yeah. with people? So watch this. So even as a lawyer, uh, of course, most of my clients are churches. We represent primarily churches and nonprofits. But even with that, I was on the phone yesterday with a pastor and I just, something was wrong. And just to slow down, you know, turn off the timer mm. and say, what's going on? Mm. You, know, you, you made a passing note, you're in a funk. I, I wind up praying with my clients, uh, especially those that are going through some type of litigation. That's hard. And, and it's yeah. not that they've brought it on themselves. Pastor Marty that I mentioned, mm-hmm. he was pastoring an Anglican church that had left the Episcopal church over a doctrinal schism mm. uh, that everybody would know about. Uh, sure. Mm-hmm. And 14 years later, the Episcopal church came after their property, left oh, it over wow. 14 years. Wow. And so I'm I'm in that with him as his lawyer, but I'm in that with him as a spiritual brother, you know? Sure. And, and I think it's also made me want to say, um, for really the first time, uh, to invest in my law clerks. Mm. Right now, I have two young ladies who are in their 20s. They're both mm. married with kids, but pursuing this career. It, it, it makes me continue to want to teach law at Regent mm. Law School. I teach a boring class, <laughs> advanced legal research and writing. It, I, it's no sexy class like constitutional law, mm. uh, but I teach it because I think God wants me to make a difference in those students' life. And on the mm-hmm. last day of class, I share that story. You know, I thought the worst thing that was going to happen that day was my writ be mm. rejected by the Supreme Court. And uh, that mattered. It mattered to my client. Yeah. Uh, but here's what I tell them. I said, your your call as a lawyer matters because I believe law is a calling. Mm. Your call, your vocation matters, but your family matters more. Mm-hmm. And so don't give up your family as you're sacrificing. And so even for me, you know, with I thought I always did a good job of I always got up early and came home early, mm-hmm. you know, left the office at five. But, but even now, investing in my son and my daughter and our marriage. And then I tell my students, you know, you're calling to law matters, your family matters more, but your relationship with God matters most because Mm -hmm. things are going to happen to you. You're going to have a worst day of your life like I did. And I could not have gotten through it 
without the Lord's help, I, I say without God's presence and God's people, we wouldn't have been able to get through it. And so it's it's affecting me to say, okay, because um, I, I, I pursued, Heather, my big goals uh, when I was younger, I, I will openly admit I wanted to pastor a church of a thousand people and have a doctorate by the time I was 40. Mm. Well, I look back and go, whoop-de-doo about that. You know, uh, that's not the measure anymore. Yeah. And um, was that right? Was it wrong? I don't know. I think it was superficial. I'll tell yeah. you that. Yeah. Um, and I look back and go, that was my big measuring stick. I was on that success addiction. Mm-hmm. But you go through the worst and you begin to realize what matters most uh, aren't those things. Now, I, I, the devil, obviously, I'm still who I am. I'm a three on the Enneagram, if that mm. means anything to you. Yep, it does. So, you know, I still have goals as a law firm and we have quarterly things, but it shifts. I think what it does mm. is it, this reading, reading this and then reading David Brooks' book, which here's a little helpful thing for your listeners. Like, I always want to read this book and then see who he has quoted and cited in the back. Mm, so this mm-hmm. led from Strength to Strength by Arthur Brooks led to The Road to Character by David Brooks. Mm. And the Road to Character by David Brooks, you know, has led other places. And so that's just a, a little insight. About I love that. I, read. I used to read books like that, like in my 20s. I'd read yeah. something. I'd be so interested. I'd look at whoever the author referenced and I'd keep yep. going. Yep. So since we're talking about your reading life right now, yeah. Um, yeah. you have a couple like tips and tricks for remembering yeah. stuff that you read. So will you tell us about sure. that? So number one, I always read with a pen in my hand because I'm always wanting to underline. And for the longest time I would underline and turn pages down. But over time, here's what I did. So for example, uh, when I'm reading and I underline and it's a concept, I turn the bottom of that page down and then I can look and see, okay, there's a concept here. For example, if I just flip through this book uh, on from strength to strength, I can, I can flip open and I can see, okay, here is an interesting concept about loneliness in professions and this whole, which sidebar Loneliest professions, lawyers and doctors. Wow. Okay. There there you go. Something for me to work on. Uh, So concepts, when you get a good concept, underline it, a a good theory, a a new novel uh, process, underline it, but turn the bottom of the page up. But when I find a good quote, then I'll underline that quote and turn the top of the page down. Hmm. So I'm flipping here through the book. I see this top of the page is turned down and it says, here's the quote by uh, Tillich. Solitude expresses the glory of being alone, whereas loneliness expresses the pain of feeling alone. Mm, that that's it? Good. That? Mm-hmm. So then after I've read the book, I will go back through several times and just read what I've written, mm. what I've underlined, and then I'll even write notes in it. So even like what we've talked about, it wasn't just suddenly that I remembered Gordon McDonald. I've got Gordon McDonald written by this concept there you go. as mm-hmm. a person who uh, took a wisdom and counsel and mentoring and advising. And in the second half of his life, his 60s to his 80s, uh, 
engaged in that crystallized intelligence. And so uh, with that, I find it helps me to remember and to be able to look and see and then implement the concepts in my own writing and in my own life. Because I don't want to just read it yeah. and then forget it. And I've, I've read so many books uh, and I wish I had learned how to do this process much earlier. Yeah, I struggle with that too. Like trying to figure out like what's the best way to like digest or return to something mm -hmm. And I feel like I could geek out over this subject a little bit because yeah. I'm constantly like in a war with myself about the best way to do this and also like honor the aesthetic of the book. So right. like there are times where writing with a particular color pen just makes me feel terrible when I'm marking <laughs> up a beautiful book. Sure. So sure. there was a time at which I switched to like, really expensive like artist colored pencils and yeah, I just yeah. thought that looks so much nicer so right now I do the pencils um and I'll do like even like mechanical pencil notes sometimes sure. just because I feel like it's less I understand intrusive or something reading is kind of a sacred thing you know yeah. authors invested so much time you're more like my 19 year old daughter in that and mm. she has all the different colored pencils the thing She's honoring it. Now, my wife, Amberly will not read a book after me uh, because oh, yeah. my, <laughs> she's like, she'll wonder, why did he underline that? What is going on in his mm. life because of that? Or And she can't read my writing. Very, oh. I, I, I pray in tongues and I write in tongues. Uh, it's very, <laughs> you need a translator <laughs> for okay. my writing. So it's it's interesting. But I, I do think um, my pastor only reads on Kindle. And he does it because I guess there's some function where he can cut and paste what he's mm -hmm. read and mm -hmm. store it better. But my goodness, I, I just love the feel of that book in my, <sighs> my hand Me and too. I can't, can't get away from it. And so Me uh, too. I never read a Kindle or a reader or whatever they're called. Uh, I own them, but I don't use them. Yeah. I love that aesthetic and that mm -hmm. feel of the book in your hand. I have found like the best use for a Kindle book for me is if I'm going to be eating. So okay. like, cause I can't hold a book necessarily and turn pages mm -hmm. while I'm eating meal by myself. So I'll get my phone out with my Kindle app and I'll just set it there. So I have a couple books I've gotten for free or, sure. um, you know, we're on sale. Like right now I'm reading Esau Macaulay's The Color of Compromise and it's fantastic. And so whenever I'm, you know, can't use my hands to read, I'll just have that yeah. open and I'll, I'll be reading it. But yeah, this is super fascinating. I, I wonder, yeah, I'm sure a lot of people have other yeah. opinions. I'll tell you the other thing is I will listen to books on Audible, but only uh, books that I find for pleasure. Mm. Like, I enjoy mysteries. Mm. Uh, I, I'm a big fan of... Uh, Anthony Horowitz and his Magpie Murder mm -hmm. series. I'm a big fan of C.J. C.J. Sansom is a British lawyer who has written about a, a hunchback lawyer in the Tudor era. They are incredible. Wow. James Emery White, Jim White, former president of Gordon Conwell, a pastor in. Oh, Heather, side note, Jim White, James Emery White, former president of Gordon Conwell, pastor of Mecklenburg Community Church. He puts out a summer reading list Ooh. every year. Okay. On his blog, Church and Culture. Uh, all of your listeners who love reading need to go look at that. 
And so it's a wide variety. This year's tilted toward history mm. a little bit more, but that's where I found CJ Sansom. Mm. And um, and the the there's five books now in this series about this lawyer in the Tudor era, their historical fiction. I love that. My whole point was wow. I would listen to those mm-hmm. because I, but I won't listen to a a book like from strength to strength because I yeah. want to be able, I can't yeah. retain it if I just hear it. The other right. thing I do is I, this is now I'm going to be a real old fogey. I subscribe mm-hmm. to the wall street journal Sunday paper. Mm. And I read the paper when I'm not out traveling, preaching, I read the paper early Sunday morning before going to church and I read their book section, mm. I read their book reviews. And that's another place I find interesting books is within yeah. their book review section. So that I'm always on the lookout for a, a theological book. I'm always on the lookout for um, a leadership development mm. style book. And I'm always on the lookout, frankly, for a good novel. A good, uh, a good murder mystery. A good murder like. mystery. Yes. No, a good murder mystery. I, I will read John Grisham uh, because he's a great uh, writer of legal because he was a mm. lawyer, you know, yes. but I can't read some legal thrillers uh, because they just don't know the law. And I go, that ah. can happen. Yeah. People who say, do you yeah. watch the order? I say, no, because they, they just are so infuriating with yes. the things they do that can't ever happen in real life. Right. So, right. Yeah. So that's, right. that's kind of how I find new, new things to read always just on the lookout. And my wife, Amberly is as much of a racist reader as I am. Mm. Uh, and so we, yeah, we've helped Jeff Bezos become a billionaire with Oh man. Oh, <laughs> so well, yeah. Glenn, this has just been such a great conversation. I, I want to just let people know when is surviving the worst going to be available. It is going to be fully available, uh, by the end of this, we're, we're recording this, uh, it'll be fully available by this Friday. Oh, uh, Okay. June, June 30th at glennsreynolds.com. Okay. And actually we're recording before this release date. So right. by the time everyone hears this, it'll be available yeah. at glennsreynolds.com. Hey, thank you so much. This is such a good conversation and I'm really excited about, you know, what you're sharing with people and how it's going to bring hope into people's lives. Oh, thank you, Heather. It's been so fun to talk with you. Thanks for listening in on my conversation with Glenn S. Reynolds about Arthur Brooks' book, From Strength to Strength. You can follow Glenn's ministry at glennsreynolds.com. Don't worry, the link to that and other resources we mentioned are listed in the show notes. Also, if you want to support the podcast in spirit or your bank account, you can subscribe to it at yprb.substack.com or give it a rating on your favorite podcast platform, share an episode on the socials, or send a link to a friend. Once again, I'm your host, Heather Weber. For more information about me, head on over to my website at heatherweber.org. That's Weber with one B. Thanks for listening, and don't forget to read a great book today.